is up, everybody? Welcome into Locked on Tigers. I'm your host, Chris Castellani. It is Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Thank you for tuning in today. Some big baseball news broke yesterday. In fact, there was kind of a, a plethora of small stories for me to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to focus on two. One definitely has to do with the Tigers, the other not so much, but it is some impactful baseball news, and given the kind of state of things in this offseason, I do like to discuss big-time moves that other teams may make. In segment two, I'm going to talk about a, a article and a few tweets that Chris McCoskey sent out that set Detroit Tigers Twitter on fire. Was that justified or not? Well, I'll talk about that in segment number two. The Los Angeles Angels seem hell-bent on loading up with players with the last name Iglesias. I forgot to talk about this, but several days ago, Jose Iglesias, former Detroit Tiger, made an all-star team for the Tigers in 2015. One of the last remnants of of what was a really competitive age of Tigers baseball, played for Detroit from 2013 to 2018, played for Cincinnati in 19, and had a pretty good year for Baltimore last year in limited action. Signed with the Los Angeles Angels. I believe Angelton Simmons is a free agent, so they're looking for someone to take his spot. I always liked Jose Iglesias. I I compare him to Omar Vizquel, a guy who's going to be an elite defender for you. He's going to stay relatively healthy, but not not a threatening bat. But you put him near the bottom of the lineup. You know, career 278 hitter the year that he made an all-star team for the Tigers in 2015. He batted 300 last year in 39 games, batted 373 with a 956 OPS. That is not uh, reflective of the kind of hitter he has been throughout his career. Obviously, small sample size there in 39 games. I'll talk a little bit more about the Angels later in this first segment. This is not a a move that's necessarily going to move the needle. It's not a move that makes me think, oh man, the Angels, they're really on the move. They're building around Mike Trout finally, but hey, I like Jose Iglesias. Happy to see him landing in another good spot in LA. I wish him the best. But the other move that the Angels made is that they traded pitcher Noe Ramirez to the Cincinnati Reds for closer Rysel Iglesias. Iglesias with a 3-1-5 ERA in his career. Began his career as a starter, but since moved to being a closer over the last four seasons, four plus seasons, with the Cincinnati Reds. I'll start by talking about this from the Reds' perspective. I think this is a big-time salary dump. Uh, Rysel Iglesias owned a pretty solid, like, nine-plus million dollars, I believe, over the next few years. They have Amir Garrett, who I think they believe will, will take over as potential being the closer of the future. I've been critical of Rysel Iglesias. I've talked about him before. Maybe not so much on here, but I talked about him in my post-game videos. I, he was not very good in 2019. He always He's always had good stuff. Always had a, a kind of an interesting wind-up, interesting delivery, nasty little frisbee slider fastball that reaches the upper 90s, but he hasn't been the most consistent pitcher, and I thought the way the Reds used him over the last several years was pitiful. I mean, they would bring him in in tie games in the seventh inning and pitch him for two and two-thirds innings. I mean, they they used him very strangely. Uh, I think my exact quote was, this guy couldn't close a pickle jar when I talked about him 
earlier last season. I think it's going to completely depend on how Joe Madden uses him. Joe Madden, obviously an analytics guy, but he's a bit of a wild man. We saw how he used Aroldis Chapman in the 2016 postseason, how he's used closers before, Wade Davis the next year in 2017 as well. He likes to stretch his closers, especially in big games, and Rossell Iglesias, who started out as a starter, I think is someone that they believe can be like a Josh Hader. I'm really skeptical about that because... I mean, there's only one Josh Hader in the world right now, but out of the Angels making moves, they still believe that they can go for this. Uh, I I think they should blow it up and start over, personally. I, I went off about this in the middle of last season, and look, I get what they're trying to go for, right? Build around Mike Trout, once in a generation, once in a five-generation player. Mike Trout, the greatest baseball player I've ever seen in the prime of his career, already won three MVPs. If he retired today, he'd be a first ballot, possibly even unanimous Hall of Famer. He's been that good. But the whole idea of let's build around Mike Trout or let's just build around one player in general is complete nonsense. It was nonsense several years ago when there were people being like, no, hold on to Michael Fulmer. They should build around Michael Fulmer. This isn't basketball. This isn't the NBA where like the Cavs build around LeBron James or the Warriors build around Steph Curry. Baseball is very much a team sport. Mike Trout is the best player that I've ever seen. Mike Trout is not the reason the Angels come up short every year. Mike Trout puts up MVP numbers every single campaign. Guess what? They haven't won a playoff game since he's been there. That's not his fault. They haven't built a good team around him. And they keep, they've tried. They added Rendon and they've added a few players. Obviously, Pujols was there when Trout was coming up through the system. I believe Pujols' first year in LA was Trout's rookie season in 2012, but I don't know. I think that's one of the worst-run organizations in sports, quite frankly. And I think they're getting a new GM in there. They did get a new GM. Maybe he'll try and turn things around, but you know, they got some bloated contracts, and they don't have a great farm system. Joe Adele was kind of the key piece of their farm system. A small sample size, but he was awful last year. 38 games, he had a 478 OPS. And like I talked about with the Tigers, with Mize and Scooball, I really take very little out of what anyone did especially young players in a 60-game season, but those numbers are are glaringly awful. But they keep trying to add pieces, and they keep adding contracts, and tre- keep trying to add guys to try to build around Mike Trout. We'll see if it works, man. I have, I have serious, serious doubts. One last piece of news before I move on to segment number two. It looks like we're going to have a DH rule next year. It looks like there's going to be no DH in the National League. Disgraceful, but not surprising. You know, let's say you're somebody who really, really likes having the no DH in the NL. You like the way things are. You like the way things have been for the last 40 years, where you have no DH in the NL and a DH in the American League. You can't tell me that last year having a DH in both leagues bothered you. The second the season got into full swing, and by the time, I mean, 60 games, so by the time it got into full swing, the season was over, but you can't tell me that once things got going, that bothered you. This was one of the only things. I talked about it last week. I did a, I did a podcast where I said, here's the things that Major League Baseball did right in 2020. One of them was that was having a DH in both leagues, but of course we can't keep that. Yes, I, I. you know what I love? I want to see Max Scherzer bat in, in the sixth inning with a runner on second and third and two outs facing Clayton Kershaw. That's fun to me. That's purest baseball. Get out of here with that nonsense. Not surprising, though. You know, this is the result of what happens when you have a guy in charge who who is either incompetent, which he is, but I think he also just has a lot of yes-men in his ear, a lot of people telling him what to do, and all those people don't know what they're doing. There's no organization, there's no corporation 
in the world that has a weaker understanding of what people want than Major League Baseball does. So we're going to have to go through with this next year and probably for the next several years. Really disappointing because I thought that was something that made the game a little bit more fun a season ago. But hey, more fun. We can't have that, right? All right, so when I come back, I'm going to talk about a very controversial article and series of tweets that Tigers beat writer Chris McCoskey sent out yesterday. We'll be right back. Join Walking Baseball Encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, every day on Lockdown MLB for a unique look at the majors both present and past. Featuring exciting guest interviews, routine check-ins from the Lockdown MLB Network's team of local experts, and insightful analysis of the day's biggest stories, Lockdown MLB is the single best source for daily baseball talk. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, so let's jump into some Tigers news. Chris McCoskey, who writes for the Detroit News, and and before I jump into this, I do want to bring this up. Chris McCoskey, on my personal Twitter account, blocked me. It'll be five years ago, I believe, in May. I made a joke, and it was clearly a joke, and he took it the wrong way about a box score. I think I tweeted a stat that he tweeted right around the same time, and I joked that he took my tweet. I mean, it was nonsense. It was total nonsense. He blocked me for it. Hey, that's his prerogative, whatever. I don't, I'm not asking anybody to tell him to unblock me. Look, I, I, on the Locked On Tigers account, I follow him anyway, so that's all that matters. But with that said, I have no personal beef with Chris McCoskey. In fact, I actually do respect him for the fact that he's come out on several occasions and and brought up his own personal struggles with mental health. And in my opinion, anyone uh, with the courage to do that is a hero. So I, I, this is a guy I do want to succeed. I've never met him personally. I'm sure there's people who may not like him personally. That doesn't matter to me. And to be honest, most of his opinions and most of the opinions of the media don't matter to me. I, I've never been somebody who's like, oh, God, did you read that guy's article? It made me so mad. Who cares? If, if you have a guy on YouTube whose videos you don't like, you don't have to watch. If you have a guy who writes articles you don't like, you don't have to read them. But I, I came across one that Twitter blew up about, and he sent out an article, wrote an article with the headline, were this a normal year, the Tigers might go into free agency armed for bear. Instead, They will again be shooting at smaller targets. This made people pretty darn upset. He followed that article up by saying, for those bitching about the Tigers' patient, opportunistic approach to free agency, if you owned a store and had no idea if or how long you'd be able to keep it open next year or how many paying customers would be allowed in, would you fill shelves with the most expensive items? Here's the angle I'm going to go about this with, because like I said, for the most part, what he posts, what a majority of the media posts, it it really has no impact on me. People railed McCoskey for this take. They were furious for him writing this, and I understand why. Here's the one thing that I do know about Chris McCoskey as a writer, and this is true. Chris McCoskey has incredible access to the Detroit Tigers front office. I mean, I believe he was featured on some of the radio broadcasts last year. That's how that's how much of an in he has. There are many people who believe that he is a mouthpiece for the organization. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't read enough of his stuff to know if that's true or not. I'll say this. Very often, his opinions are reflective of the opinions that are shared by the people who run this ball club in the front office, Al Avila and Chris Illich. And my guess is uh, this is no exception. 
And that's why I'm not I'm not angry really at Chris McCoskey. He just wrote an article and sent some tweets. I disagree with him, but he's you know a lot. Of, I disagree with a lot of people. That's fine. But I can already see where this is going, and I think that's where a lot of people's frustration came from with this is that we're starting to already see the writing on the wall. We're already starting to see the built-in excuses that the Tigers are going to have after they don't spend in the 2020 offseason. Oh, well, COVID last year, you know, we lost revenue. There were no fans in the stands. First of all, and you're right, there were no fans in the stands. Over the previous couple seasons, you shouldn't have had any fans in the stands. There's there's not a single sane person who should have dished out a single cent to watch this ball club at Comerica Park. You want to watch them on a road uh, on the road, you know, see some other teams play, visit some other ballparks, go ahead. You're lucky to have made any money over the last several years considering the garbage, garbage, crap product you've put out onto the field. You should be on your knees thanking the fans for still being here, thanking morons like me who haven't turned their back on this organization when we probably should have considering you haven't given enough of a crap at all to even uh, field a quality team. And this is, uh, people are freaking out and I get it because they already got the built-in excuse. COVID, loss of revenue, no fans in the stands. Hey, our hands are tied. What are you going to do? The Detroit Tigers are not some podunk mom and pop shop getting by on a shoestring budget. This is one of the richest teams in sports. I'm tired of the nickel and dime nonsense. And by the way, they weren't the only team that had to deal with COVID last year. They weren't the only team that lost revenue. Hey, the Blue Jays, did they not have any fans at the ballpark last year? I don't think they did. I don't recall that. They're going to spend... Already re-signed Robbie Ray. They're making moves at Springer. They're going for it. The Padres, did they deal with COVID stuff last year? Did they have to let, release employees? Did they have to let people go? Did they lose revenue? Yeah, of course they did. Guess what? They see blood in the water. They're going for it. They think they can be world champions next year, and good for them. The New York Mets with Steve Cohen, did they lose money a year ago? Any, any fans at City Field last year? I don't think so. Guess what? They're spending, and those teams have spent far more money over the last several years than you have. Every contract that quote-unquote crippled you over the last several seasons, Verlander, Zimmerman, Victor Martinez, gone, gone, kaput. You have the third lowest payroll in baseball, and you are one of the top five richest teams, and you're still trying to cry poverty. And in this age, and this is where I like, I legitimately get offended, not just as a baseball fan, but kind of as a human being. And in this day and age where you got people losing jobs, out of work, you got 250,000 people dead from a pandemic. And I'm not getting political. I'm just saying that's the truth. That's actually what has happened. And a baseball team with more money than God is crying poverty and saying, well, we don't know if we can go out and spend. Oh, we can. We're going to sign Taewon Walker to a one-year $7 million deal. What do you want us to do? That is, that's nonsense, man. It takes a lot to offend me. I actually find that slightly offensive. And I think if you're a Tigers fan, you probably should too. And I was in the Tigers group chat on Twitter the other day talking with some some guys about this and I, I couldn't help but just chime in and say I can't be the only one who's tired. The conversation we're having and what I'm saying right now about should they spend money, will they spend money, will they open up the checkbook? Guys, we've had this same conversation each of the last three years. And guess what? Based on this article, which I think is probably reflective of the attitude of the organization, we're probably going to have it next year too, and probably the year after that. Like, how much longer as a fan base do we have to deal with this? How much longer do we have to put up with this? We went through this whole charade. I think this fan base, 
has been pretty darn patient. I, I really do. They have intentionally fielded the worst product possible for four years, and a lot of people are still here, even though a lot of them probably shouldn't be, and I would get and I would understand why they wouldn't be. Like the, to me, the, the key phrase of this offseason is give us something. You know what? You did with the manager and the, and the pitching coaches and the, and the hitting coaches and the staff that A.J. Hinch hired. And look, again, there are certain people out there who are, are more happy with the idea of their opinions being validated than they are seeing their own team or their own organization succeed. I'm not like that. I would absolutely love if every single word I ever said about El Avila and Chris Illich was proven wrong. I would love for them to turn around, hurl two middle fingers at me, go out and spend, sign some big-time free agents, and be competitive. They haven't proven anything to me right now. They got Hinch, and that was good. And I guess what I did? I came on here, and it's it's there's audio evidence of this. You can go back and listen to the podcast. I praised them, and I said they did a great job. They showed some initiative. They spent the money. They went out and got the best manager available. They went out and got the best anything available, which is something that they had not done here in a long time. I gave them credit. Now give them some good players to manage. And if you're not going to, don't cry poverty. It's so frustrating. It's moments like this where just being a fan of this team or being a sports fan in general just feels totally not worth it at all. Like, what are we doing here? Say what you will about the Dombrowski era and when, when Mike Illich was here. And yeah, they came up short. And that those were teams that were perpetually disappointing. And they should have won at least one World Series and didn't. And we've gone through this, this story before. But there was about a 10-year stretch where you went into the season on opening day every single year and you said, maybe this is the year. And you felt like for a long time, the owners and the GM of the team and the players and the manager cared. They believed in their product. And that is that is so much fun as a fan. There will always be that, yeah, but they didn't win a World Series. And I, I understand that. I do. But you can't tell me those weren't fun times. You can't tell me that anyone out there listening right now wouldn't kill for an 85-win baseball team right now. It's just so frustrating because I'm I'm starting to see the writing on the wall already. I already have a feeling of where this thing is going to go. And it's not going to a place that's going to make me happy at all. And that is very upsetting. All right. Sorry to bring things down, but I had to get this off my chest. And I think I think what I feel today is reflective of what a lot of people may be feeling at this moment, especially after reading that article and some of those tweets. All right, so that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Tigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcast, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this program. It would be much, much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I will be right back here tomorrow, hopefully with a little bit more positivity. I will see you tomorrow. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day, and go Tigers.